one day I'm walking down the hall and, and this member looks, he sees me coming, goes, ah, the great encourager. The one time last year I'm on the Senate side and a Senator walks off the elevator, sees me and says, oh, are you here to encourage me? You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hey, welcome, friends. I'm glad you're listening today. I've got a question for you. What does encouragement look like to you? Can you think of a specific example of someone lifting your spirits when you were down? Or maybe a friend did something that let you know that you were important in their eyes. I can tell you from personal experience that a word or act of encouragement has kept me sane on many occasions. Today, my guest could be called the Great Encourager. For the past seven years or so, Steve Amerson has been encouraging the people on Capitol Hill, walking the halls of Congress and the Senate, being a friend to the men and women who work there. As someone who tries to encourage others, Steve really provided some great suggestions on how something as simple as a note or a prayer can make an impact that people will come to rely on to get them through their difficult days. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast each week. I've been a longtime fan and supporter of the men and women who write the music that encourages and challenges my faith. I hope you find these conversations as engaging as I do. But I can't do this each week without your support. There are costs each month to cover hosting, programming, and production. And I would be honored if you could see your way to helping cover some of those costs. So I've partnered with Patreon to make it possible for you to help out. And for as little as $3 each month, you can help make sure these conversations keep happening. As an added incentive, the first 20% of all donations goes directly to help Mercy Inc. Won't you consider heading over to patreon.com ccmexchange and sending a little love our way? In exchange for your contributions, you can hear the podcast a week early and submit questions to ask our guests. It would sure mean a lot to me if you would go to patreon.com slash ccmexchange and support the work that I'm doing. That's patreon.com slash ccmexchange. Thanks for caring. I first heard today's guest when I played his 1986 album Shine On Me at a radio station in Boise, Idaho. As the Christian Music Archive has grown, so has the number of Steve Amerson's albums. To date, the archive shows 18, and I've just learned that there's a couple more that i got to add. Steve has also lent his voice to a number of blockbuster movies, which I find interesting, and regularly participates in a worship service at the U.S. Capitol. And now he is getting ready to release a book called Tales of the Troubadour, which chronicles his more than 30 years as a recording artist. So I'm just really excited to welcome to the podcast, Steve Amerson. Welcome, Steve. Dave, great to be with you today. It's an honor to chat. It's uh, 
fun to connect. And I'll admit that one of the things that I was not aware about when we first started talking about this conversation is your work in movies. I did a little digging. I looked at IMDb, and I see that you've sung on 23 movies, including things like Jurassic World, Star Wars, Rogue One, Home Alone, Indiana Jones. I mean, we're talking about some big movies. Well, actually, IMDb is wrong. I've sung on 175 feature films. Things like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, Hunt for Red October, Home Alone 1 and 2, Sister Act, Men in Black, Fantastic Four, uh, <laughs> Home Alone 1 and 2, if I said, uh, La La Land, Bridge of Spies, Hook, um, Matrix uh, Revolution, Ma Matrix Reloaded. So, How did that come uh, about? Well, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles in 1978, uh, was, started singing around town, people heard about what I could do, heard, heard about my voice. And uh, so it's a matter of just getting, uh, I hate to use the word networking, but it's, it's getting known. Sure. And um, so as more people learned what I, you know, what my voice could offer, then the, the invitations for work came my way. So IMDB calls you a score vocalist. What, what does that actually mean? Oh boy, uh, <laughs> score vocalist, session singer, score okay. vocalist would just mean that I'm singing on the score of the movie. But uh, in addition to movies, I've also sung on commercials and video games and television shows and uh, sung background for other artists like uh, Celine Dion, Josh Groban, uh, Harry Connick Jr. So just a, a whole host of things. Once you get into that, once you make it into that circle of people uh, that, that do that kind of work, uh, it's, you, you wind up normally singing for all kinds of things, whether it's movies or uh, other people's recordings or commercials or what, yeah. what, whatever might be out there. Well, I, that, you know, not every singer that I talk to says, yeah, I've sung on all these movies. So that was kind of like, oh, my goodness, this is kind of cool. So I've got to I've got to go to IMDb, though, and update that. <laughs> I, you know what? It, it was a bunch of stuff was there. And then somehow stuff got knocked off. And uh, IMDb is a it's more comp. It, it, they've made it more complicated. It mm. used to be. In fact, it still is very difficult. You have to go through. You can't just make a uh, go into a field and put in 175 titles. You have to enter each one individually. Oh, yeah. And it, it, they've, they've made it kind of difficult to do. I guess that's so people can't go in and lie about what they've done. Sure. Sure. Well, obviously, you're, you're good at singing. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have all these credits. And, and I've known that you've been singing for more than 30 years. But I, I think I remember that you started out as a music pastor and actually a young adult pastor in California, right? Is that where your kind of music thing started? Well, I grew up in the church and uh, sang in the church back in Ohio and Indiana as I was growing up. I did an undergraduate degree at a little school called Taylor University sure. in Indiana. Okay. I did a master's degree in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, when we moved to California in 1978, I served on a church staff worked with college and single adults, and then moved into uh, the music area. And I was on that staff for 10 years until in 1988. Uh, and, and before 1988, I had been doing session work and so forth. But in 1988, I, I left that position and started traveling full time. So you grew up in the church. Um, I always enjoy hearing people's testimony. You know, where did you get started in your personal walk with Jesus? Because we all know that there's a decision where we say, this is mine and not my parents. What was that Absolutely. moment for you? Uh, that was uh, in, in high school. I was involved in Young Life, 
Okay. And I think it was the summer of my junior year. Uh, I was uh, working at a Young Life Camp in Saranac Lake, New York. I was washing dishes for a month. And uh, that's when it became clear to me that uh, even washing dishes, I could uh, serve God and have a relationship with him. So it goes back to my high school years, starting there. I, you know, I, I knew God, I knew Jesus, but that was the time where, where I made a decision of my own. So what was it about dishes <laughs> that said, you need to make this a personal thing? I mean, that's an odd <laughs> statement. Uh, I guess it was, I guess I was thinking that, uh, uh, wider than snow, you know, uh, <laughs> now, now wash me and I will be wider than snow. I guess, you know, it was somehow just understanding that God can use people in a lot of different situations and settings. And um, while I was working, I still was able to hear some really outstanding speakers during that month. And so those those people and my relationship with Young Life through high school had a, had a real impact on my life. So you were born into a Christian family. This was just part of the moving into the relationship with saying, now I have to have this for me. Yeah, absolutely. My father was a, was a United Methodist pastor. Okay. And uh, my mom led the children's choirs. So... Uh, there really wasn't much of a question about going to church. Right. And it wasn't much of a question about singing in the choir. So uh, it, it goes back, uh, back. Those are my, my, fa- my, uh, uh, my early days. So you were at church every time the door was open. You were singing every time, anytime the doors were open. So this was all, this whole career in front of you was all fostered from a very, very young age, both spiritually and vocally. Yeah, uh, my mom was a, uh, a fine musician. She played the piano mostly by ear. My dad um, would make a joyful noise, <laughs> and um, so uh, he 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 would sing. But it was that's that's what my brothers and I would say is that dad's making a joyful noise. So my uh, my musical and spiritual foundation goes back and is tied to to my folks. So at what point was it before you went to college then that you decided this music thing is going to be something that I want to pursue long term? I'm assuming that's when you went to school at Taylor for. Um, yeah, I wasn't exactly certain what I was going to do. Even when I was in high school, um, I played guitar. I played guitar for my Young Life Club. And then I started to travel locally in Northeast Ohio and sing for camps and retreats and so forth. So the, the music part uh, developed then. Uh, went to Taylor. I started as a voice major. And after or before the first semester was over, I went undeclared. Uh, I just wasn't really certain about this voice thing. Uh, But I did wind up with a degree in music theory and composition. So while I had a strong, um, my my voice was a major uh, part of who I was. Uh, I focused more on uh, on composing during those days. And that served me well. I didn't uh, know uh, that I would be doing some composing. But that, that has certainly served me well. Then when I went to Southern Seminary in Louisville um, for a master's degree, they had a phenomenal music program there, okay. just an unbelievable program. So I wound up with a degree in church music with an emphasis in voice there. Uh, moved to California. My wife and I thought we lived out here for two or three years and then go back to the Midwest, but we never escaped. So was the move to California for music or for the church position or what was that move? I had four different jobs offered to me uh, as I finished my master's degree uh, around the country, one in Cleveland. Uh, I could have stayed 
in Southern Indiana, had a job in Atlanta and a position at this church here in California. The church had a very vibrant music program. And many of uh, the uh, young people in the church music program uh, had already slipped into doing session work mm. and doing recording work here in town. So we came, it was kind of the adventure of going to California. Uh, but then once we got here, uh, we realized, we recognized the phenomenal music uh, program of the church. Church had an adult choir of about 110. Wow. Yeah. A college career choir, high school choir, junior high choir, six children's choirs, wow. handbells, uh, instrumental ensembles, vocals on, vocal ensembles. So it was a, an, a broad, expansive program that eventually um, I ended up running. And, uh, and, and that's where the degree, uh, the master's degree really helped out. So uh, it was a phenomenal program and phenomenal days back in the late 70s, early 80s. For, for Christian music. Yeah, right at kind of the beginning of the music was just kind of spilling out of the Jesus music movement into the contemporary and worship stuff that we're experiencing today. So at what Correct. point what point did you get signed to Light then? Because your first album that I know about, <laughs> Shine On Me, was on Light. How did that come about? Yeah, that was, uh, that was the very first project that was released uh, on vinyl and cassette. What are those? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, actually, the project came about. Um, the offer came from Ralph Carmichael, sure, pioneer in Christian music. Uh, had Lexicon Music and Light Records. Ralph just passed away right. about two or three weeks ago. Yeah, and there's a concert. There's a, a memorial concert being scheduled, and I, I may be singing at that. Very cool. But it was a um, it was an, an offer to do my first project. Um, uh, recorded. Uh, they they used five existing tracks, accompaniment tracks that had been recorded, okay. and then we created five new uh, songs, five tracks uh, to go with that. So it was ten songs, and it, it came from an invitation. Um, part of being here in this community, uh, Ralph had heard me sing, okay. uh, and there were a couple of other people. Uh, Paul Stillwell produced that project for me. Paul had actually hired me for my very first studio session, recording session here in California. So that's how that came. That's how that came about. Fun. And that and that would have been. Um, I, I don't know if you had the year, but it would have been. I have eighty six. Is what, what yeah, pro, yeah. That sounds yeah. right. Because then I then I stepped out. Uh, I left that church position in eighty eight, and so that project gave me the initial songs to go out and start concertizing. Okay. Uh, it was it it was that project. It was that Shine On Me project. Well, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Ralph Carmichael. He was an arranger for Stan Kenton and did yeah. a lot of amazing. And I'm a trumpet player. In fact, now we have a brass quintet. And every Christmas, we pull out some Stan Kenton, Ralph Carmichael arranged things that we play at Christmas. And so, yeah, that was a, a big loss to our music community. So Absolutely. Well, one of the outgrowths of your music career, and I'm going to get into some of those things in a little bit, but kind of flashing forward, you spend a lot of your time on Capitol Hill, and I think it's called the Jefferson Gathering. Is that correct? Well, initially, that was the uh, that was the title of it, uh, uh, but it it was started in 2014. Um, it was the renewal of worship services in the United States Capitol. 
Um, I mean, so you you think back, I, I started traveling in uh, 1988. And so here all of these years later in 2014, after traveling, singing all around the world, singing at Carnegie Hall and Hollywood Bowl and different settings, I was approached uh, to uh, lead worship, sing and lead worship in this first service back in the Capitol in 144 years. Yeah, There, there used to be worship services in the Capitol on Sundays uh, from 1800 to 1869. Okay. For some reason, those services stopped. And uh, so I was invited to sing. And the first one, the offer came and said, hey, look, we'd like you to sing. And lead worship at this. We don't have any money to pay you uh, to come for your travel, for your hotel. Yeah. And it was an offer I couldn't refuse. And uh, so um, went to DC in July of 2014. Following that service, uh, the founder said, would you come back twice a month? Oh, wow. So since that time, um, I have traveled uh, pretty much every month, uh, except when Congress is not in session. I travel there twice a month. Now, we've not been able to do our services in the Capitol uh, during uh, recent days because of COVID, sure. but I still go back, and in advance of going, I write uh, 200 handwritten notes to members of Congress, Wow! and I deliver those to their offices. When I'm there, I walk anywhere from 9 to 12 miles <laughs> Um, yeah. in these in the Senate office buildings in the House office buildings and through the Capitol itself uh, so over these past eight nine years I've gotten to know lots of members of Congress wow. on both sides of the aisle they know that I'm not a lobbyist I'm not a reporter and I'm not a constituent mm -hmm. which means that I'm safe ah, yeah. I don't want anything from them right um, most people who want to see their member of Congress or staff, they want something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and most of the time when the, uh, when people call a congressional office, uh, they're upset. Probably 90% of the calls, emails, faxes that they receive are negative. Mm. So I walk in with, um, uh, I mean, members and staff are, uh, pleased when the door opens and I walk in, uh, one day I'm walking down the hall and I think it was the Longworth building. And this member looks, he sees me coming, goes, ah, the great encourager. Oh. Uh, another time I'm in the Cannon House office building, member walks, turns the corner and just throws his arms open to me. Mm -hmm. Um, eager to see me. Uh, the one time last year, I'm on the Senate side and a senator walks off the elevator, sees me and says, oh, are you here to encourage me? Oh. So what I've realized is a lot of these members of Congress uh, have some very difficult, they're, 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 they're people yep. uh, with families and trials and difficulties. Uh, one night I was, uh, on Wednesday night, I was I got in the elevator on the first floor of the Capitol. I was going down to the basement uh, to set up for our service. And before the door closes, a member of Congress slipped on the elevator. And so it's just the two of us. And I said, what do you need God to do for you today? Hmm. And without hesitation, this member said, I need prayer for my adult son. Um, so I had a time of prayer. Uh, another time I'm 
see a member in the hall. I said, sir, what do you need God to do for you today? He said, our son just committed suicide and my wife and I are trying to get our joy back. Um, it's in the basement of the Capitol. It's about two years ago, right after 4th of July. And this member sees me, starts singing one of the songs from my patriotic CD. And then I said, uh, how are you doing? He said, well, I need prayer for our son. He's a methamphetamine addict. We never know where he's at unless the police call and yeah. he's in custody. So it has really, uh, being on the Hill has really given me a different understanding of people and staff who work on the Hill. I engage a lot with Capitol Police officers, and these have been some interesting days yeah. for them. So uh, I go to Washington, D.C. twice a month. Um, people from around the country, there's still no money in it, but people <laughs> from around the country have heard that I'm going and uh, have been supporting me in making these trips. It's a, cool. it's, a, it's a fairly, uh, it's a long trek from Los Angeles all the way to to DC, yep. but I feel like it's one of the places I'm supposed to be. Through the years, we've done some really neat events in the in the uh, in the Capitol. Also, we've done some Christmas concerts uh, where we've had um, some great choirs. The National Christian Choir has sung for us. LU Praise, which is a great gospel choir from Liberty University. Babby Mason has been there to sing. Uh, the Gettys have been there to sing. Uh, I do some singing. We also do a program every year called Washington, a man of prayer, where we honor George Washington, uh, who was, was a, a, a man of prayer. And uh, so it's, it's been interesting to spend time to walk through the halls yeah. uh, to engage with members of Congress. So I'm, I'm interested in what was it that caused you to say, okay, I've got this invitation to this very first church service in a hundred and what was it? 44 years, 144 years. And, and what was it that caused you to say, I can do more than just go and sing. There was, there had to have been something that was the trigger that said, I can make a difference here. Well, I don't think I knew that initially. I think initially it was just, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to lead worship and for this service. And after that first time, you know, the, the, the founder said, would you continue to come? And I would make that trip. I'd fly from Los Angeles on Tuesday and be on the Hill Wednesday. The service wasn't until Wednesday night. And I started thinking, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. So I started uh, walking the halls. And of course, it, this is uh, pre-COVID, so anybody could get into House or Senate office buildings. And I just walk and look at names on the doors and see who it was. I did know one member of Congress at the time, a member from Texas, but I just pulled my business card out of my pocket and I just wrote, I'm praying for you and left that in the office. And I started doing that. Then I got a little more uptown and uh, had some notes printed with my name on the front. And so each time uh, there's a scripture at the top of the card. And then below that, I will write a personal note. That's when it, it struck me, these notes were making a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, my presence was making a difference. I have members of Congress have told me that they keep every note that I deliver. Wow. Um, and from what I can tell, um, if, if I go back and figure, I think I've written somewhere around 40,000 notes wow. over the past eight years. Yeah. So when members told me that they've kept every note, when members would see me and engage with me, when I see a member of Congress walking through the hall, I don't stop them. 
Um, if I'm going the opposite direction, I normally turn and walk with them. They're either on their way to the, to the Capitol for a vote or they've just voted and they're heading back to the office and they typically have someone waiting in their office. Um, when, I, when it became clear to me that members were stopping when they saw me or they were engaging with me, you know, and sometimes say, hey, would you walk with me? Yeah. Um, then it became clear to me that uh, it was beyond singing. It was beyond my singing voice. Uh, there was a ministry of presence and a ministry of, of uh, written notes of encouragement and just a, a ministry of my personal uh, presence being there. And as I shared, my question typically is, what do you need God to do for you today? I believe that a lot of people, a lot of uh, believers, uh, followers of Jesus have made prayer way too complicated. Explain that. Uh, well, one of the things as I pray with members of Congress in the hall, a lot of times we're just walking along and I start praying. Yeah. Or if they stop and we're there, uh, I'm standing with them, I don't close my eyes. Because A, I don't want to do anything that might embarrass them. I don't want to draw attention. Now, if they close their eyes, if they bow their head, that's fine. But, but just to simply ask a question, what do you need God to do for you today? Rather than saying, if you were to die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? I don't think there's anything wrong with that question. I think it's a powerful question, an important question. But we've made, we've made sharing our faith um, way too complicated. People are really afraid of it. People think that they have to have their life perfect uh, to be able to share their faith. And I certainly don't. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a broken person. I readily admit that, that I am broken. But I, we, we think that our lack of perfection keeps us from being able to share Jesus. And I believe that's a ploy of Satan. He wants us just to, to feel like we're inadequate. Yeah. Um, there's an old gospel song, I am unworthy, the, the least of his favor, but Jesus left heaven for me. The word became flesh and he died as my savior. I mean, I remember my, my parents singing this in church, but, but we, are, we are unworthy, but it's only God's grace. So uh, whether it's uh, engaging with the member of Congress or a staff person or, or a reservation person, an airline reservation person on the phone yeah. or someone standing in a counter, just to be able to say to someone, what do you need God to do for you today? Um, it can be a very transformative question. I can't tell you how many times people have broken into tears when I ask that question because they're, they're, they are so lonely. Makes me think one time I walk into the office of a member of Congress, he closes the door and he says, I am so lonely. I'm lonely here on the hill and I'm lonely when I go back to the district. Uh, I heard the phrase several years ago, everyone we know has a battle we know nothing about. Right, yeah. So I, I believe that a lot of ministry doesn't happen because believers are scared, unwilling, unresponsive, disobedient. Uh, God's not looking for our perfection. He's just looking for our availability. A friend of mine once said, you know, when the little, when the, when the boy had the five loaves and fishes, the question is, don't tell me what you need. Tell me what you have. Yeah. 
And so I think God is just oftentimes looking for us to just to tell him what we have and then let him figure it out from there. You know, it's interesting that you use that analogy because li- literally last week's podcast, we talked about the preparation that this kid did. He was probably just getting ready for a day at the beach, going to go hang out. And man, all these people are in the way. And now all of a sudden, Andrew snags him by the arm and says, this kid's got food, takes him up to the Lord. I want to know what Jesus said to that kid when he knelt down before him and said, hey, what you got there? Can mm-hmm. I use it? And the whole point of that conversation, I think, is that God uses anything, whether great or small. And I'm, and I'm thinking about people who say, okay, yeah, Steve, that's, that's all good, well and good. You're outgoing, you're a performer, everybody knows you. But how am I, as you know, a housewife in the Midwest, or how am I, as an accountant on the West Coast, going to make a difference? And you've broken it down so beautifully, simply. Just how, how can God help you today? I mean, that's just powerfully simple. Absolutely. I think um, I've thought about, I've not done this yet, but I was, I was thinking, what if churches were just to get a card table, go to the local grocery store, take a couple of chairs and a sign and on the table, put a sign that says free prayer. Mm. What if, what if we were just to do that, to, to, to strip it down that much? I think we'd be surprised at the opportunities of people that are just looking for prayer. And especially during days of COVID, people are feeling isolated and insulated. Uh, they, there, there are a lot of people pre-COVID that they just want to, they, they could use a hug. Yeah. They could use a nice, safe, non-sexual hug, just someone to touch them. And what has happened during these days of COVID. And I believe that that this whole pandemic thing is a work of of the of darkness. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a work of Satan to separate believers and uh, to, to keep us apart and also to keep us from having impact uh, in the world. Personally, I believe that everything, the, the, the situation with our world, whether it is a military withdrawal, whether it's borders, whether it's a disease, whether it's the economy, I believe that Satan is on the march in a way that he has never been. And, and his attack is intensifying. And it's basically time for believers to stand and say, uh, well, I think it would be, a, well, I'll be careful here. <laughs> we, we Believers should say at least, heck no. Yeah, yeah. And, and believers ought to be able to say, Satan, go to hell. Yeah. We, need, we have that authority, and we're not claiming that authority. Yeah. To, to, to cast him right back into the pit. And that's what we need to be doing during these days, because I believe that Satan is on the march as he's never been before. Well, you know, I think of, you know, we hear of guerrilla conflicts in the, in South America and battles and all this kind of stuff. When do those get heated? It's when there's a lot of pressure and they know that the end is coming. And I think the devil is very much aware of the fact that his time is just about up. And so he's going to do as much chaos as he can to bring as much of us down and take the rest of the world with him. And you're right. This is a time for us to stand up and say, look, we have the power of the almighty and you don't belong here. Absolutely. Look, and it's been, these have been difficult days for churches. Uh, The stress that pastors have been under is, has just been intense. I heard last week that church attendance is 39% of what it was before the, uh, the pandemic. So these are challenging days. 
churches have been split. But I also heard a pastor say, um, and look, I, I think churches need to, I don't think every church has to do the same thing. I think you have to take into consideration your congregation, your local government authorities and what they're telling you. But I did hear one pastor say many churches closed and they closed for a long time. And this pastor's base, in essence said, they told us we were not essential and we believed them. We accepted it. We're not essential. And doggone it, the church is essential. And it's time for churches in whatever way that is appropriate for their congregation, for their setting. It's time for churches to re-engage in powerful ways. Yes. That'll preach. And I hope that people take it to heart because that is one of the key elements of the reason I started this podcast is I wanted to tell people that community is important. And part of community is where we're at. You happen to be at the Capitol. You happen to be at the grocery store. You happen to be wherever. How can we take back this world for the kingdom? And uh, those are great, great challenges. I appreciate that. I was I was, um, was flying last week. I was in D.C. for a day, and then I went to Dallas. And on Thursday morning, I was at the airport, and these two uh, employees greeted me. And uh, as I as I was in the airport and I, uh, you know, I didn't even ask him what you need God to do for you today. I just said, you know what, let me do this. And I just started praying for these two. Mm. And one of the ladies there at the counter just began to weep. She just began to weep. And um, a few minutes later, uh, she slipped over to me and she said that she shared three uh, things that she was dealing with very serious things. And she said, as I was driving to work this morning, as I was driving to the airport this morning, I prayed that God would bring someone to give me a hug. God allowed me to be that hug that day. Wow. To to be able to share a hug with this lady. And believers need to, I mean, we, we need to be the most graceful people that are out there. What's fascinating, we've received God's grace. Yes. Yeah. But we're sometimes really stingy with grace that we must, we've been commanded to share with others. Well, you've got a lot of these amazing stories, and I'm sure you've outlined some of them in your brand new book, which is coming out next week, December 7, right? Correct. Uh, December the 7th. It's called uh, Tales of a Troubadour. And I have not had a chance to read it yet. I've kind of glanced at some of the things about it. Tales of where you've gone and performed, and you have had some amazing opportunities and experiences. What would be the purpose of this book? Why this book? Why now? Well, it just felt like the right time. I try, I started writing, trying to write this book probably five or six years ago. And I mm. just could not get it going. Um, God did put a particular person in my life. Um who helped encourage me to get this done in some very uh, concrete ways. Uh, what I'm hoping is that people will take some of these stories of, of places where I've sung. I mean, I, I, I look back and I go, wow. I mean, the fact that I've sung on the steps, the Southern steps there in Jerusalem, oh. uh, to have sung in Carnegie Hall, to, to have sung in the Rotunda. And in non-COVID times, I do that twice a month. I stand in the center of the capital of the United States and we sing 
uh, the doxology and we pray and we take the Lord's Supper and uh, then we sing God bless America. So I just wanted, uh, I tried to take some of the places and it's certainly not exhaustive, but uh, there, it's an easy read of 13 chapters of places that I've sung and lessons that I've learned from those places. And so I want it to be kind of an example, as we've said to others, that God can use you uh, in whatever kind of setting uh, you might find yourself. Yeah. Well, so like you said, 13 chapters, lots of stories. Wet our whistle a little bit. Give us one. I, I like to ask people for a pinch me moment. That time where you look back over your life and you go, oh my goodness, God, you were so amazing to put me in this situation. And it can either be, you know, career-wise or personally-wise, or what is one of those moments, whether it's in the book or elsewise, that just said, I cannot believe that God gave me the opportunity to be this person for this time. You know, the, the, the first time I stood and sang at the Hollywood Bowl, uh, I was doing, it was a very difficult piece that I was singing. Uh, I, I have some classical training. I used to do a lot of classical work, but I was singing a work. I was a soloist in a work called uh, Canticum Sacrum by Igor Stravinsky, okay. uh, performing with the Los Angeles Philharmonic with a conductor by the name of Michael Tilson Thomas, who is a legend. And... Um, I stood there on the platform. First of all, in that setting, I'm looking out, seeing 17,000 people. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Um, I, uh, I, I'm, first of all, as the orchestra began to play, I sat there, I'm, you know, I'm young and experienced, and I'm hearing the orchestra, and I'm going, oh, God, I'd love to have a stereo system like this one day, you know? So, so I was trying to remember what is this like to be surrounded by some of the world's finest musicians as they played. And then I stood to sing my opening number. And as I stood and looked out across this venue, uh, the adrenaline dropped in my stomach oh. and just began to burn, just burn. And this is a very, very tough piece of music. I, I mean, one thing it's singing in that venue, but then this, this piece of music was very, very difficult. Um, but I recalled what I had written. I still have that score and what I had written in the front of that score and the very, you know, open up the cover mm -hmm. and there, there you'll see God has not given me a spirit of fear, oh. but of power and love and a sound mind. So that was just uh, one of those amazing moments to be able to uh, use my voice in that setting. Uh, and I feel like um, minister uh, in that setting. So those, that's one of the moments that really sticks with me. Well, people can get this book, obviously, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all those, but they can get it from your website too, right? They, they can get it from steveamerson.com. Uh, the little perk about getting it from me is if they want, I'll sign it. Uh, they can request to have it personalized there on the website. They can go to steveamerson.com and look for their own copy of Tales of a Troubadour. Troubadour, some people don't know, Troubadour it was a, a traveling minstrel back in Renaissance times and so forth. When I was in college, um, I would drive from Ohio to Indiana uh, to school. And I had a citizens band radio. I had a CB radio yeah. and on those long drives, you know, it helped keep me awake and <laughs> alert and so forth. And my handle, my moniker 
was Troubadour. Okay. So, uh, you know, 10 Ford, uh, you know, this is Troubadour. And so uh, when it came to write this book, I thought that would might be a, a good, uh, good moniker to pull back out to, uh, to use that in, in the, in the book Tales of a Troubadour. Well, we'll be sure and put those links uh, to your website and some of these other places in the show notes. So listeners definitely go check that out. I'd like to close with two other questions. One question is, Right now, what is God working in your life specifically? How is he how is he talking to you about what his what his love and impact for you is right now? Trust him. I I I there's there's one concern that that is constantly on my mind and uh I am uh, I'm trying to fix it. Uh I'm a fixer. My kids have just moved into different living situations, and I have been there with every tool that I have, hanging pictures, installing (laughs) gutters. Uh, I mean, gosh, the stuff that I've done, uh, my kids know that, and and my grandkids know that grandpa's grandpa's a fixer. Uh, I'm a fixer of things, but uh, I probably too often try to be a fixer of situations that are beyond my control. I had to remind myself the other day that uh, in this one situation, there are three possibilities. Either one, the person is not ready, Mm -hmm. or two, the situation is not ready. It's not, it's not there. Or three, both are not ready. So I can't control the situation and I really can't control this person, but I can pray for that person and I can pray for that situation. Um, And I would encourage people to think about that in their own lives. They may be looking for something, uh, they're, they're desirous of a job or of a home, whatever it might be. And so either one, they're not ready or the job's not ready, or both are not ready. So the only thing that they can control is themselves. So it's important for them to be ready. So maybe uh, just a word of encouragement for people to to examine and go, Lord, what do I need to do? Uh, You know the desire of my heart. Mm -hmm. It's not happening. I've been praying about this for years, and yet they're blinded and not realizing that uh, they're not ready for it. So in the midst of that, I'm, I'm having to learn to trust uh, that uh, God's in charge and I'm not. Well, that dovetails very nicely into my last question. Every Saturday, we send out a newsletter to about 500 people who have committed to praying for artists every week. What specifically can we be praying for Steve Amerson in the weeks and months ahead? I, I think during these days, um, probably for health, and, and for health, for two things, uh, health generally, but here's something really practical. I fly a lot, and my flight schedule uh, through the end of the year is very intense. Okay. And already, last week, I had one flight canceled and another flight delayed. 
so I would pray for health, but I would pray that my travel plans go well. In, in these days, the travel industry is under lots of pressure. Yeah. So I would pray for health and I would pray for traveling safety and, um, and efficiency. Thanks for sharing your story, Steve. And thank you for the reminder that encouragement does not have to be complicated. Steve's work to encourage the folks working on Capitol Hill came as the result of some extra time on his hands. He'd arrived early for the worship service he was singing at and decided to take a walk down the halls of Congress. All he did was write on the back of a business card that he was praying for people. And that has turned into thousands of notes over the past seven years of encouragement. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Steve also shared about praying for the ladies at the airline counter as he was preparing to board his flight. He noticed that they were having a bad day and just prayed for them. Galatians 6.2 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. Encouragement doesn't have to be complicated. It could be as simple as a text to let someone know you're thinking about them, or maybe an invitation to grab a cup of coffee on a break. The cashier at the grocery store, well, she's wearing a name tag. You could take the time to talk to her by name as you chat about the groceries. That's encouraging. I'm sure that you can find many ways to be an encouragement to the people you come in contact with. But if I'm honest, I'll admit that sometimes I just forget to do that. I get so wrapped up in my tasks and the things that I'm doing that I forget to notice the people around me. I think this week, let's try to be intentional in seeking out ways to be encouragers. I think I'm going to challenge myself to find at least one person every day that I can offer a word of kindness or an act of affirmation to. Let's make this week the week we focus on encouraging the people around us. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website, christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>